0: This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Episode 344, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy Part 1, Out of the Silent Planet.
1: Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Strangers. (laughs) (laughs) Strangers. Only say what needs to
0: be said. Would you be a stranger or an alien,
1: or would you be a strange alien? Or the truth is out there. I am your father's best friend, plumber. Superman, Wonder Woman. Temple versus Captain Kirk. Do
0: you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The
1: very first thing that God did so why is he was that he created something, so we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens Podcast.
0: Hello and welcome back to Strangers and Aliens, a podcast about science fiction, fantasy, and Christianity, spirituality, and how they all kind of crisscross together. And uh yeah, I'm Ben, Ben Avery, one of two hosts here to talk about a classic of Christian science fiction. And the other host is over there. He's that's sitting me. right across from me. Steve MacDonald. How you hey, doing? Hey, that's me. Yep. Looking good. Looking good.
1: (laughs) Obviously can't see me, but thank you very much.
0: I'm just making the assumption. So this is something that uh, I have been wanting to do, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, ever since we did, honestly, the Till We Have Faces episodes. Mm -hmm. Where we we talked about, it was two episodes, we talked about Till We Have Faces, which is one of my favorite novels ever. And potentially, I think, one of the best novels ever written.
1: Oh yeah, Definitely.
0: And so yep. uh, we're finally getting to the Space Trilogy, sometimes called the Cosmic Trilogy yes, and sometimes called the uh, Ransom Trilogy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I, I mainly call it the Space Trilogy because that's what it was called when they were talking about it and when I was a kid when I was in high right, school. Yeah. In fact, yeah, I have a book, to... I have a book called a guide through C.S. Lewis's space trilogy. That might be oh, nice. the main reason that I would really consider it. the space trilogy, by the way, uh, John, John, uh, from high school. I'm not going to say your last name just in the interest of privacy. Uh, but John was one of my best friends in high school. And, um, I think I inadvertently stole this book from him. <laughs> and when I say, I think I inadvertently stole this book from him, what i mean is you. i know i stole it from him <laughs> i hope it was inadvertent and not, and not intentional
1: <laughs> well but i mean to to steal a cs lewis book i mean it's sort of like <laughs> yeah
0: well this this book is by martha by martha <laughs> sammons and it actually is one of the first books that i ever got that was about cs lewis
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh and especially then about, about his space trilogy. So, um, yeah, we have an outline for this episode and mm-hmm. I would like us to kind of take a look at that first question in our outline, which is kind of looking at our first interaction with this book and what we thought about when we first read this book, Steve, when was the first time that you got into uh, CS Lewis's, the space trilogy with out of the silent planet? Is that the first book you read from the the space trilogy?
1: It is. And the funny thing is growing up, I would read, you know, like uh, Asimov's The Foundation, or at least I would try to read them. And I I would, you know, every once in a while I'd get these books. Uh, A lot of times I'd gravitate back to, you know, reading Star Wars novels or Star Trek novels, but I would, you know, I would really try to read these. And I think one of my brothers had the trilogy. And I think that's where I first saw Space Trilogy. Um, And it was in a box and it was, you know, nice new stuff. But the publication was was very 70s or at at least like that late 70s, early 80s style where I was just like, "Eh." it just didn't hit me. It didn't it it didn't have pictures that I wanted to look at. You You mean like the cover image back to the cover image? Yeah. And it did not have like like you know the older like you know nineteen sixties seventies you know those those tour novels or whatever, and it would have like the spaceships or the planets or these like fantastic uh, you know uh, uh, watercolor uh, you know whatever it is and it, it they they were just these vivid pictures of, of ships and planets and things mm-hmm. like that and you were just like, I wanna read this book. Even though that wasn't in it at all. It was just like, you know, stock yeah, yeah. paintings that you know so, some guy. So what cover was it 50.
0: that you had? Or that he I had I forget do you remember I forget,
1: the, I forget the the
0: Do you remember what it artist like?
1: Or whatever. It was very almost like I don't know, maybe like pastel. I think there was one one picture like I didn't look at them very much because I didn't really want to there's one okay. picture was I think someone coming out I think it was probably ransom coming out of the water you know on the beach or it could have been you know one of the animals there or the, not the animals they're you know yeah. now <laughs> if you want to call them. That. but um you know it, I, and I think it was it was just that it had held no visual claws you know it was just like this picture that I was like, I don't know what I'm looking at it doesn't make me want to look at it anymore it doesn't make me want to read it so i didn't read them for the longest time and then i started working at a place where um uh you know i just i had access to to christian books as much as i wanted to and i started to i think i i probably read those novels at some point and because you know, hey, it's it's C. S. Lewis. I mean, you have to read these novels if you like science fiction. And it was earned probably in the early nineties. So, you know, Star Wars was was getting back into publishing uh, you know, Dark Horse comics and the the Thrawn trilogy and things like that. And you know, hey well, hey, trilogies. You know, hey, it's the, Christianity has a trilogy. It's it's called the C. S. Lewis trilogy. It's Matthew
0: Mark oh no, that's a quadrilogy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and um so I said Okay, well, I'll start reading and then i I saw a couple of um boxed sets that were published much earlier than than the one that I saw, and I was like, "Oh yeah, those are the ones I want, and it just had like these wild type of weird stuff on the cover, and I'm like i don't, I don't care if that's in it or not. It grabs my attention.
0: Okay, so what did those and, covers look like?
1: Um You know what? I probably should have grabbed them for the episode. Okay. But I don't have them right with me. Um, one of them that the cover fell off the the book, so I'm sort of like. <laughs> but it, it was just they just grabbed my attention because there was it was the artwork that I was used to when I was looking at science fiction books. I you know it was that type of stuff. So um, so yeah, the first the first time I read them um, was m- much later than I should have, just because I just didn't get into the art.
0: So I read them in eighth grade, and and the reason why is because I loved *The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe* and the *Narnia* series so much, and had read those, and had read *Lord of the Rings* and and *The Hobbit*, and and my dad was like, "Well, I think you'd really like this these other books that C.S. Lewis wrote," and um, now in, in my mind, these books were written after. Narnia, because it's like this progression of, like, as Mm -hmm. you're getting older, you know, like, you read (laughs) these first, then you read these, and then, um, but, uh, my aunt then got me, uh, the trilogy for my birthday, and the, the thing about, okay, so for me and books, and and really almost anything, as far as anything that you're gonna, like, line up on a shelf or, or anything like that, I wanna have them all the same, from the same, like, printing and series, or all different, you know, so I'll get like the f- the five dune books or whatever like I don't mind it if they're different as long as they're all different. I just don't want like two from the same set because it's <laughs> unbalanced or something i don't know um but this one, two of them that hideous strength and and paralandra were from the from one printing and out of the silent planet was kind of the oddball where it was a a different printing, different publisher maybe even, and definitely different um. Like as far as the, the art didn't go with uh the other two at all. Um the book I had was this little green book, very thin. Um, and it had a picture of the round ship from Out of the Silent Planet, and it's on a um like a desolate landscape, like you would expect Mars to be. And and there's a little spaceman <laughs> <laughs> standing on the <laughs> on the, the ground by the spaceship, which if you've read the book, you know like yep. that's that's nothing um, it's not exciting at all. Uh, it, there's a lot of spheres on it because there's a moon and then yep. there's also these like round glass globes or something like that. that are kind of floating up in the air. Um, and then the, the, the little guy is just this really, really tiny, tiny figure on, on the cover. And again, wearing a space suit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah. Okay. We put, put a man on Mars. Yeah, we're going to have to... <laughs> wear a space suit but uh that's not C.S. Lewis's Mars. So no. Anyway, um, but that that copy of of the book was the one that I had um in eighth grade. Uh I did end up buying a new edition um just last year actually. I, I repurchased the the whole series in hardcover, partially because I was hoping the printing would be bigger. So that I could see it better because my eyes are getting a little bit weaker. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and they were. Um, so to be to be fair to the the credit of the printer, um, it was easier for me to read. But that one has the uh, the cover image of, um, Ransom and one of the. Uh, uh, I'm not going to pronounce these right. I need to check my uh, guide to the uh, space trilogy, but uh, Ransom and one of the Rasa. Um, in a boat on, on, on a lake.
1: Yeah. And, yep. That's the one,
0: but they're also so tiny.
1: Yeah. Like, it's just, that's the one I was talking about that. It just didn't grab me. It's just not
0: exciting at all. Like there oh. is nothing on that cover that makes me want to, uh, to read the book other than the words CS Lewis. <laughs> like that's on the cover. That's going to make me want to read the book, but you know, it's not going to, if you're judging a book by its cover.
1: Well, it's the funny thing for me is is I didn't have that much of a big, you know, love affair with C.S. Lewis, if you want to call it that. I guess that would be the wrong word, but you know, metaphorical. I didn't have yeah, it's a, a reverence because you know the it when we had the Chronicles of Narnia, we had the whole set, but it was the same, like type of artwork. It was it was like it, sort of not anything that really I wanted to.
0: Did you have? Dig did you have for the Narnia books? Did you have the ones that were white paperbacks? Yeah, with uh, yeah. just kind of almost not quite abstract art, but
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's 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 the set that I had too. Yeah, vivid. I have vivid memories of that too. Um, because my third grade teacher read us the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I think I mentioned this before, but that was the only good thing that that woman did for me. Um, <laughs> I mean, she she read a lot of books to us and instilled in me a love for some of those books. And, and one of them was, was *Language in the wardrobe. But yeah. um, a few years later, my parents were child, the child's evangelists at the, at a camp and, um, and the camp bookstore had the box set. My dad got me the box set and nice. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool.
1: Well, I didn't even read the Chronicles of Narnia until I was married and my wife was like, you've never read the Chronicles of Narnia. You love fantasy. You love, you know, all this, the, the, everything and that yet, it's about. Before
0: you were married, you made her read the four loves.
1: Exactly. Like, yeah. you- <laughs> Ironically.
0: So you're I'm like, I'm all about the nonfiction. I mean, as much as I love science fiction and this other guy who.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so she, uh, You know, I gave her the four loves. She gave me the seven Narnia books. So four for seven. I think I made out.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not I'm not sure who got the better end of the deal on that one, because
1: (laughs) it's just a different end of the deal. Because if she hadn't read that one, she wouldn't have got me. So,
0: yeah, I'm not sure who got the better end of the deal on that one. (laughs) 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 Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: Okay, so that's. That was our first interaction with this book. What was your first impression of this book then? Because, I mean, this was from 1938. It's a science fiction book, quote, unquote. We'll talk about whether it's science fiction. Um, but it's from 1938, which um, that's before World War II, uh, but it's after World War I. With, uh, so was in between there. Um, this is, I, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first uh, fiction that C.S. Lewis had published unless you want to include some fictional um, yeah. poetry.
1: Pilgrim's Regress. I oh, think. yeah,
0: you're right. You're right.
1: That yeah. would have come
0: first before this. But that's,
1: I mean, that was more like a, a parody, obviously, of the Pilgrim's Progress.
0: But it was also a biography. Yes. When he wrote Pilgrim's Regress, he was writing a metaphorical, allegorical biography. Yeah. Of his, of the, his own spiritual journey.
1: Yeah. I think this is the first... like non derivative. And I don't mean that in a bad sense because Pilgrim's regress is as original as as it can be, but it it wouldn't exist unless the Pilgrim's progress existed. So it's derivative. Uh so this is his first non derivative Christian fiction.
0: Yeah. So this predates uh Screwtape Letters. Yeah. Because Screw Tape Letters was forty two. Narnia didn't start until the fifties. Great divorce is 45. So yeah, Out of the Silent Planet predates all of that.
1: There you go. We were right.
0: (sighs) I'm not an expert, but uh, (laughs) I also don't want to be really, really wrong. Right. Yeah. So this book, though, comes out of uh, a conversation that Lewis had with Tolkien And Uh basically, this is the one where we've talked about this conversation before, but it's been a very long time. Um, But I know also this comes up a lot in conversations with um, with Christian creatives. And that is that these two guys were talking about how there's not enough of the stuff that we want to see out there. There's not enough of the kind of things we want to read out there. And so they said, well, let's do it. And and uh, C.S. Lewis wanted to write or wanted to see a story about um, space and, and Tolkien wanted to do one about time and uh, C.S. Lewis finished his and Tolkien. I'm not even sure what, what his was. I know it's been published. Um, Yeah. I
1: think he did like four chapters and then he had an outline for the rest of it or something. Yeah. I, so it, it involved more like spiritual time travel where, you know, you, you would, you would you would go back in time, but you would be experiencing the things that happened and not actually doing the things. You know, almost like like watching a TV version of it, but you would really be there, you know, and then it it would go back in different time jumps, so there would be like, you know, like I don't know, five hundred years and a thousand years. and then you know, and on, on, back until it actually incorporated. Uh, Middle Earth, and and uh, I'm trying to think of the place, yeah. <laughs> um, Atlantis. Uh, the the Atlantis um, uh, thing that he did that you know what what stands for Atlantis. So, um,
0: well, like I said, I I haven't read it, and so um, I don't know anything really about that. But I do yeah. know that this again came out of that conversation. And how many times have have you know we had conversations like that where um and when i say we i mean like C- christian creatives in general yeah. uh where it's like there's not what i want to see so yeah. i'm going to have to it's going to have to be me you know
1: there should be like christians writing superhero comics and then you know there are none so what happens it's like oh okay i'm going to make up some christian characters and then someone else is like hey i'm going to do you know yeah so yeah.
0: well and and like even that. even beyond that it's just well there's people doing this, but they're not doing it the way I want to do it, you know? Right. And yeah, um, yeah. I mean, some of that is coming out in uh supersonic pod comics even where, mm-hmm. yeah, there's tons of superhero stuff out there, but there's some superhero stuff that I want to see that I'm not seeing. And so I'm doing, you know, and right. um, the same with the, the science fiction novel that you're, you're editing right now for me is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that comes out of that same kind of thing where Uh, this is the kind of story I want to do. I want to see this. I want to read this. And since I'm sure that there's something out there like it, no doubt, but I'm not finding it, you know? And so, right. um, So that's the kind of thing that, that we've got happening. And, and that's what they did here. And out of this, then we get out of the silent planet, which, um, yeah. So like I said, 1938, um, it's thin, it's quick. Um, and it's about a, a journey to Mars. <laughs> the <laughs> kind end. Of. All
1: right. Excellent episode. Kind Great. Of, what yeah. are we going to do next week?
0: <laughs> so, so my first impression when I read this book was, first of all, it was dry. But remember, I'm reading it when I'm in eighth grade. Right. And you're talking about how you're reading Foundation and Star Trek and, and those kind of things. I too was reading, um, mostly, you know, it was, it was Star Trek novels. Um, I was getting into science fiction that wasn't uh from a franchise you know because i mm-hmm. and, and i think we've talked about this before too star trek novels for some reason i'm i was able to read those i always tried to read star wars novels and i just couldn't for some reason yeah. star wars novels never grabbed me and it's still to this day if i'm sitting down with a star wars novel i have a hard time getting into it really yeah and I i don't know so much of how what it is about my mindset when I'm thinking Star Wars versus star trek um what it is that makes it so much easier for me to consume uh one way or another I mean star Wars comics I'm there, I'm fine Star Wars movies, yeah, all day long um but star wars novels it's it's just a lot harder for me, and uh I did finally read out of the uh, splinter of the mind's eye
1: mm-hmm.
0: um I was able to finally read that just like last year, the year before, something like that. But um, but that was a bunch of false starts. And the same kind of thing happened with Out of the Silent Planet. I remember sitting down to read it uh, in, my, in our one house that we lived when I was in eighth grade and just like, what am I reading? This is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> this is what's going on here. Uh, and then the second time I, re- I sat down to read it, not too long after that, um, I did get to some of the fun stuff. Because there is yeah. interesting stuff that happens, but l- the lead up to that interesting stuff, it kind of gets into C.S. Lewis's uh, idea of the fairy tale, which he yep. talks about in in that hideous strength. We'll probably talk about it more length when we get to that book, right? But um, where he talks about you got to start in the normal, and then and then slowly make your way into the fantastic, right? You know, so yeah. people it's a can, hero's journey. Yeah, yeah. But it's also just to allow the reader's journey to mm-hmm. be less um, abrupt. And, and uh, yeah. And so that's what you have yeah. here. Is
1: that- it's like when you open a Spider-Man story, you don't want him to be, you know, already in the middle of the dark dimension and you know, it's like, why is he having these dreams? And is why is it only three different colors instead of all six? And it's like, there's too many different things going. You need to have the progression where he's, you know, fighting crime in New York city and kissing Mary Jane goodbye. And you know, then he goes off and then he gets caught by this thing and then he's thrown into the fifth dimension or whatever it is. And then, you know, and and you can, you, you sense the progress. And
0: I think that's why I, I don't know if you remember angel wars. I think that's what it was called. Yeah. But it was a, it was an animated series and I could just not get into it. And, okay. and the reason was there was just so much going on because first of all, it's in the future and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like the sci-fi world, but then yep. there's also this spiritual warfare world beneath it and behind it. Yeah. And so you have angels and demons and, and then you, but you also, it's not like in our world, it's just like, Hey, we're going to take these two fantasy things and smash them together and not really give you uh, much of, um, of, of a place for you to relate. Right. And, and, and beyond that, it didn't work for me. And I was an adult watching it. Like I, <laughs> as a kid, I don't know what I would have thought about it. Maybe I just thought it would be really, really cool. And maybe that was missing the whole point because I'm watching it as an right. adult, but as an yep. adult, I'm watching it. I'm like, this is really jarring. And I am just yeah. not, I just can't follow this. And I turned off after the first episode and never got another one.
1: So wow. Well, I think for, for me, when, um, when I'm thinking about things that I read when I was a kid, I wasn't picking up on themes. I wasn't picking up on, you know, what the writer is actually trying to write about. I mean, even with you know, like star Wars, a new hope, it's like, Oh, oh, it's about hope. I didn't know about that. You know, it's like... <laughs> Until they changed I, I, the name. Exactly. <laughs> 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 but I didn't realize it was... I, I just thought it was a really cool story growing up because that's, you know, as a kid, you want to hear the f- fun and exciting stories. But when you start to understand the themes and the the filters and the the tropes that they're using and and all the different stuff that's going into it, that's what makes it pop. So... When I'm reading the foundation, and it just starts talking about this this universe in crisis, and these people who are going to make this encyclopedia that's going to give the next generation, the generation that that comes out of the dark age, the information they need to succeed, and you're like, oh, okay, so I can understand that. I'm I'm working on that theme, and. And so, as a kid, I'm reading it, and it's just like, oh, it's kind of cool that there's this Encyclopedia Galactica. That it's like, ah, oh, and it has everything in it. I wonder if it has, you know, bikes in it, and I wonder if it has candy. And, and I mean, it's just as a kid, I'm looking at it as as a different thing, you know. And it's just this oversimplified thing. But at least I can get into it in that level. But then, like, you're reading it as an adult, and you're like. What, what wouldn't it, I mean, it it couldn't have obviously everything and you're looking at it as a, as a different thing. And now the theme sort of changes for you. It's not like this, just this cool thing that, oh, they have to work towards, not just a MacGuffin, but now it's this, this thing that holds a different kind of weight. And you're, you're looking at the theme as a different thing. It's like, if this thing goes away, then you know, all of it is, it's, it's the, the repository of knowledge. It's the, you know, the, the, the library in Alexandria, it's, it's these things that are, are, if civilization is, is hanging on a, on a hinge and this is it. And, and it, you understand it a completely different way. So getting into, um, out of the silent planet, it, it can be difficult. It can be dry because you don't, you don't have that immediate thing to glom onto. Well, but here's you know?
0: the here's the thing about Out of the Silent Planet. I mean, it's the way it starts. It starts with a guy on a walking trip. That's right. Who meets a woman who's really worried because her son hasn't come home yet. And and he's not very <laughs> smart. And could you please go down the street and, and find him? You know, so it's really I
1: mean, yeah. The,
0: the situation is about as normal as you can get you know it's and
1: pedestrian
0: yeah yeah no pun intended but it's intentional i mean it's <laughs> it's intentionally that you know and yes. um and then it gets weird you know uh, he gets drugged <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then there's the whole spaceship thing where they're naked and um <laughs> so it, you know it does pick up and it's especially when you get to the planet is when it when it mm-hmm. really picks up but um okay so that was my first impression. My impression now, as I read this book, though, and I've, I've reread this a, a number of times over the years, but um, I've gone back and reread the entire trilogy um, in the last, I want to say, maybe six or seven months. I can't remember exactly. Um, I've gone back and reread it, and I, I really, really enjoyed this book and really, really mm-hmm. appreciated it this time around. And I'm not sure what it was this time around where I was just like, man, this was this was good. <laughs> this was really really fun to read um but it, it part of it is this is a what i would consider a classic sci-fi kind of thing i mean yeah. this is pre-world war ii mm-hmm. and if you're looking at different eras of science fiction you know there's the golden age of science fiction hasn't happened yet i don't think i mean if it has happened um it's happening right now you know and it's you know, where, where you've got like the explosion of ideas from like Asimov and, and the, the pulp magazines and, um, Heinlein and, 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 uh, and yep. the, 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 the other, Lensman. yeah. Well, and yep. it, here's the thing though. I, have also just recently been re well, I listened to, um, a book about the golden age of sci-fi oh, and gosh. it was wonderful. It was weird <laughs> and it was, uh, in some ways, was a little bit concerning um, because of what was going on with some of the people uh, yep. in this. Uh, let's see if I can find the title. Uh, yeah, it's called Astounding, and it's by Alec Nevillea Lee. So it's a hyphenated last name, Nevillea mm-hmm. Lee, but it's just called Astounding. Um, this is Audible i accidentally (laughs) started playing it just now uh trying to get the subtitle but it's about john w campbell who was an editor of um i want to say it's astounding magazine because that's the the title of this book but um he was the guy who kind of groomed asimov and uh who also was working closely with heinlein and also l ron hubbard Mm -hmm. and uh so anyway you know Science fiction, though, those, those old school sci-fi, it's different back then because science and understanding of science was different back then. And so, you know, C.S. Lewis is talking about uh, a ship that goes to Mars. But this is before we really have harnessed rocket power. Yeah. You know, like we don't have we don't even have missiles and, and <laughs> we don't have jets, you know, and. Um, yep. And and you know World War Two is about to happen as as he's you know writing this one, um, but we don't have the technology that you know I, I'm sure rocket power was a thing that they knew about, but it wasn't a thing we were using. You know, yeah. And I've been thinking about this too, just about how science fiction back then was so imaginative because they had to imagine, and and you know they were looking at what what's out there and then extrapolating from that. Science fiction now, I'm. I'm out of the I'm out of the, I don't know, that circle, you know, I'm not reading current science fiction or very much of it. Um, but if I'm thinking about it, I'm trying to imagine like what kind of things are science fiction writers writing about that we aren't living, you know, like there's just (laughs) so much that's in our world right now that's happening. That was science fiction 10, 20, 30 years ago. And, uh, but anyway, we also could debate, and maybe we should debate, like, if this novel even is science fiction.
1: Well, if you define science fiction as, uh, you know, it, I mean, the word, had, the term had just changed from fiction, Which I love. I know, it's fantastic. To science fiction, you know, very recently when this was published. And people knew what they were talking about. And so anything that had any type of, you know, uh, like a pseudoscientific gloss to it, anything that had that type of a thing was scientific fiction. And, you know, this falls into that category. So if you're going to grandfather in anything that's scientific fiction into science fiction, then Yes. But, but if you're if saying you were... that there's
0: no science in it, then no, because <laughs> there's, there's no science in there's this book.
1: Little. There's a bit all. No.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the thing is, if you were writing this book, if, if, if you published this book today and and thought that it was going to to be anything, it would be laughed out of the Academy. Because yes and no. It's, uh, yeah, it, depending yes, on— Depending because on what it, your
0: your purpose was, like if you were trying to write this old school feel with that pulpy imaginary science, like that could be fun.
1: I guess, but nobody wants to read that. That's <laughs>
0: not entirely true. You know,
1: there's there's, there's no real uh, venue for that. It's not like you're filling a, a niche that hasn't been filled by the, the actual pulp stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, but, but if, if you were seriously trying to publish this and say, hey, this is this is really a book that I'm trying to publish, it would be laughed out because there's so many different little things that you wouldn't put in because space travel is a given now. It's like listening to the old you know Dimension X or X minus one or something, and they spend so much time on the the blast off. Because you know, are they going to make it? Are they going to get out of Earth's, Earth's atmosphere? and well, here's then,
0: the, here's the thing, what Steve. Happens? I mean the way I mean, he just does away with it in Paralandra, and we'll talk about that when we read that book. but yeah. um with with this book, he just makes a magical ship that has some sort of science behind it, but just <laughs> it's almost like he has to say, just trust me, there's science behind this, but our point of view character doesn't understand it so he can't explain it <laughs> so it in- they're just in a they're just in a round ship that's going to fly there because it has <laughs> things that make it fly there
1: and at, at one point in and then i mean during the course of the novel you have the main character sort of having sort of a, a rejection of you know modern science that type of a a, a feel where you know the older Stuff is better than you know the the what what science was based on, and this new science where you it's like oh science says it so it has to be true, and they're taking science as if something it it's not a process which it is, and making it the the end, you know the end product, and they're saying because science is the end product then that's a that's that's our proof. But science is the process. It's not the product. So, you know, having having Ransom reject that, that the product science, is sort of like the same thing that C.S. Lewis is doing because he's rejecting, you know, the whatever science existed at the time that said this is how rockets work. And he's saying, I'm going to make this work in the way that it needs to to get to Mars.
0: I think he's just saying, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I don't know anything about this, but I really I want to write about a ship that goes to Mars. Yeah. I mean, it just yep. feels uh, like the way I did things, you know, when I was a kid and I'm just like, I don't know how this works, but this looks cool.
1: <laughs> and yep.
0: uh, Cause yeah, you got the scientists and you got this guy ransom who is based on Tolkien actually. Um, And he's a, a linguist and, and uh he, <laughs> He gets kidnapped, Shanghai, so to speak. Put on a ship, and they head off to Mars, and it just works. Yep. Trust, trust me. Yep, <laughs> it works. Yeah, and don't when I say trust me, I'm, I'm saying C.S. Lewis is saying, trust me, the yeah, ship don't works and it gets it. there. Yeah, yeah,
1: and it has that same like pseudo Like there's a there's an old Superman serial where he goes to a different planet and then he's flying back to Earth and he's, he's like buffeted by the storms of space. And you're like, I mean, nowadays it's just like, that's just ridiculous. But back then they didn't know there could be storms in space, you know? So why not write it in that dramatic style? So, you know, I don't really have any problem with it being science fiction. You know, it's, yeah.
0: I, I think that, it's interesting because C.S. Lewis himself kind of plays both sides of the fence. He talks about how this was a book that was supposed to redeem science fiction.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: he this is kind of looking at the science fiction magazines that he loved. And and he read because he read the pulps. I don't, I don't know what ones he read. And I really want to find a yeah. specific one uh, because he references reading in one of the science fiction pulps, a time travel story. Where the person who goes back in time can't touch or move anything, and so walking on grass is like walking on uh, metal spikes, right? Because you can't affect anything in in the past. That's and where
1: he got ideas for the Great Divorce. The Great
0: Divorce, yeah, yeah. and and he he uh, acknowledges that in the Great Divorce that that's where he got this from, but he doesn't say what the story was. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's there's a part of me that just really wants to try and track down. Okay, so what magazines was he reading? And we know he had to have read it before 19 what 45 or whatever. We know he had to read it before 1945.
1: Right. Unless Is it traveled through time,
0: right? I guess, uh, but you couldn't move <laughs> the pages of the book and.
1: That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe they were opened.
0: So but maybe that's what gave him the ideas. He went back in time <laughs> and it wasn't that he read the story in a science fiction magazine. It's that he couldn't open the science fiction magazine itself.
1: That's, that's right.
0: Um but then I stole it from him. I think I mentioned this before, but I I my first comic book that was printed um not I, it was self-published and self-printed yeah. but it was the first one that was printed it was called timepiece and that's the yes. basic conceit of the story is that when yeah. you go back in time you can't change that we can only change the future as we're traveling into the future um but you know playing with that idea and so if you're looking at science fiction as playing with ideas then this book does do that and it's playing with ideas of life on other planets and that sort of thing if you're looking at science fiction as playing with, s- Factual ideas, he acknowledges that himself, that he's he's not. (laughs) Um, So, in fact, I've got a a quote here from him about it. Where he says should have marked the page, but my out of the silent planet has no factual basis (laughs) and and is a critique. (laughs) Of our own age, only as a Christian work is implicit is implicitly a critique of any age. I was trying to redeem redeem for genuinely imaginative purposes the form popularly known in this country as science fiction, just as Hamlet redeemed the popular revenge play.
1: Huh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so then the other thing he says. Well, I'll save this this uh, second quote until uh, we talk about the different characters here, but um. Yeah. But my current feelings about this book is it's still it's just it's a relic of an earlier time. And like a lot of different things, it's a statement about an earlier time, you know, and so Uh you get to the time machine that we get in this book is that we get to see what C.S. Lewis was responding to, like what you were saying about, um, you know, like current views on science yeah, and 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 views back then, and and then we get to extrapolate on that and see what's changed since then, you know. And honestly, not a lot, <laughs> I think. In <laughs> um, and that and, and in that sense, it's it's timeless. The other thing that makes it timeless is because there's no specific science uh-huh. about the travel. You can just go with it. Yeah, you know, and and there's there's nothing to be wrong. Like it's not wrong. You don't have to fact check it. Yeah, He didn't get anything wrong in his fictional science <laughs> because he never talks about what his fictional science is. And, yep. and then he goes one step further in Paralandra. We'll talk about that when we when we talk about that book. But uh, he goes one step further. It is almost funny um, to me just how he switches up to uh, to get to get ransom to Mar uh, to Venus in in that one. Mm hmm. <laughs> yep, good stuff. So this book takes us to Mars, and the best part, obviously, of this book is is the chapters when it's in Mars and um, Ransom himself. He meets um, three different Martian races, uh, and then learns about what, what's going on with this planet and what's what's the deal. What's the difference between our planet, which is called the Silent Planet? Um, so our planet is called uh, Thulcrand- Thulcandra.
1: Thulcandra.
0: Thulcandra. And then uh, Mars is Malacandra.
1: Malacandra.
0: Malacandra.
1: Because the the way the the phonemes work, the Andra is the means planet. So we look at it and we would say Malacandra because that's how we would pronounce things. But if you break it up. Pr- Correctly, it's Malak Andra. So Malak Andra, sort of like the the hard C's at the beginning of words in the Tolkien's books. When like the the elves and and you know different races, it's like it's Caliborn, not Celeborn. But it looks like celery. So why isn't it Celeborn? Because it's a hard C, like Celtic Caliborn.
0: What I find um, interesting though is Earth is the silent planet, and that's mm-hmm. because it's fallen. Right. Uh they call it the silent planet, but whenever I look at the word Tholocandra I feel like it's it, it's just a loud word. And and maybe it's because <laughs> maybe it's because of uh thunder. Right. You know, yep. there's there's definitely, you know, w- letters from thunder in there and, and in the right order too, not not all together, mm-hmm. but in the right order. Um yep. but it feels like a loud word to me. It feels like a yep. word that means something loud. Yeah. and and instead it's out of the silent planet because earth is silent uh satan mm-hmm. uh, in essence satan and and the other fallen angels are on earth and that's where they're trapped they cannot leave yep. uh this that sphere um yep. and so malakandra is um is mars and what's interesting to me as you're looking at this whole series and the way it's kind of looking at it is specifically these three planets, Venus, Earth and Mars. They're mm. all in different stages basically different life stages. Yeah. And and Malakandra is dying. Like it's at the end of its life so to speak. It, there's there's ruins, you know, and there's 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 a s- ancient civilization that has died out. Like there's a fourth race on this planet. A- but there, there was a fourth race on this Mm -hmm. planet and they're just gone, you know, and it's just this, uh, dead area, you know, and then you have it, but it's, it's a, it's a world that's kind of lived its life and gone through its life stages. And I mean, there might be hundreds of years left still, but you get the impression that it's kind of at the end of that. And then you down. yeah, yeah. It's winding down, you know, and, and it's cold. You know, and, 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 and then you have earth, which is kind of in the middle stages uh-huh. as it's moving toward, you know, um, end, end times, but end times aren't the end, you know, um, and they have Venus, which we'll get to with Perlandra, but that's at the beginning, yep. the very yep. beginning. And, I, um, and that's where, you know, when you call this, this cosmic trilogy, that's almost a better description of everything because this is, this is mythological. This is cosmic, you know, cosmic, not in the sense of the literal definition, but cosmic in the sense of just that, that, uh, that space myth, you know, and, uh, and, and it's, it's just this, the story of our solar system. And, uh, I, yeah, so, but let's stick with out of the silent planet, I guess I'm, I'm getting too far ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. Um, so we have these three different races and man, oh man, I'm going to mess up how I say them, but you have the Rasa. Rasa. Because there's an H yep. there. Yeah. Rasa. <laughs> uh, and I'm doing this without looking at the word, but the piffletriggy. <laughs> piffletriggy. Sure. Sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> I'll get this one right. The Sorns.
1: No, it's the Serenai.
0: No, 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 no. Plural is Sorn. Mm,
1: the singular is Sorn. Singular is Sorn? Yeah. Dang it! The Severnai. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yep. The plural is sometimes given as Sorns, but usually by people who don't know any better.
0: <clears throat> I'm just going to stop recording right now. <laughs> And we'll be continuing this series all by myself. <laughs> Cause then I'll get it right every time.
1: Uh now you can you can I mean that's the beauty anyway. of that's the beauty of of fantasy and science fiction and stuff. You know, pronounce the things the way that makes sense to you.
0: Well, and that's also the uh the ugly side of science fiction is when you have, like you said, you know, words that seem to be following one convention and mm-hmm. then aren't or you have these made up words that are impossible to actually speak yeah um that's not happening here it's not impossible to speak these words but i have read sci-fi novels where it's like five consonants apostrophe yes and then three yeah. more consonants and it's just yeah. like what how how do you even say that
1: and, and even it, like wookie you know. like you know, it's, it's, it has two E's at the end and the name of the planet is Kashik, but it has three Y's in a row. I mean, it's like, come on, <laughs> now you're just being goofy. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, uh,
0: what's surprising about this is I'm not sure how much he planned ahead of time. Um, but once you get the three novels together, they, they form a really incredible whole, um, that just has this building mythology, but you're starting here where we go to, um, to Mars ransom escapes from the two guys who kidnapped him uh, Weston and divine. Mm-hmm. And, and then a lot of this is just him running away from them, him finding <laughs> uh, Martians that, that take him in uh, that's the Rasa that, that take him in and he gets to spend time with them um he's told that he needs to leave uh and 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 head out um be, by the Oyarsa is
1: Oyarsa, that close yeah okay. yep, you got it uh
0: which are basically the the angel uh who was set over this planet mm-hmm. uh similar to the way lucifer was set over earth um or banished to earth maybe he wasn't the yarsa of of earth but um he runs the show you know, and they don't worship him. Weston and Divine believe that everyone worships this guy that they can't see. And I love the description of the Yorissa uh, in this book and in, in Perilander, where it's this kind of thing you can kind of see out of the corner of your eye or if the <laughs> lighting is just right. Yeah. You know, Um. but it's just it it's you can take it in by our senses, but it's not meant to be taken in by our senses. Yeah. You know, and.
1: We have no no context for what we're seeing.
0: Yeah. And in Paralandra he really gets into some cool stuff with that, um, where you have them when they reveal themselves and they look kind of like Roman gods, um, but they reveal themselves where they look like um like there's wind, you know, and mm-hmm. um but it's just the image that they're projecting, right. you know, and that kind of thing. But anyway. Uh, Back to Mars. It's
1: it's reminiscent of the, uh, I think it's the Fiffle Triggy who, um, who draw a picture of Ransom. Yes. And it's like this weird, it doesn't look like him because it looks like some weird mushroom type of a, you know, being or whatever. And it's because if they showed the, if they showed the other uh, Fiffle Triggy what, what he really looked like, they wouldn't believe him. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like we have no context for, for what a human being looks like. But, you know, this thing that's sort of like a weird mushroom type of a thing, it's like, you know, like when, when travelers used to go like, you know, 500, 1,000 years ago and they would come back and say, oh, yes, there are people who walk upside down and their head is, you know, where their bottom usually is and their their legs are up on top. And you're like, well, OK, because, I mean, I know what a person looks like walking on their hands. so. Maybe there's just a place in the world where they walk on their hands instead of their feet, and you know I, I, I can I can see that happening, even though it's ridiculous, yeah, to us. But back then you could put that together. But if they said, you know, oh no, there's something that's uh, the the color of. Of yarn, and it's uh, that it has the taste of blue. <laughs> the color of it's like what <laughs> it, it's it would have no no context. So you know it, it's very interesting how they did that.
0: So the Harasa are kind of like otter kind of creatures. They look they look kind of like otters. Um, they're big. They're tall. They um, they're mammalian, um, and they're kind of a, a hunter species. Uh, kind of stone, stone age level of technology for them. Um, yeah. they live in the moment. Uh, you know they're they're not as concerned about time and that sort of thing. Um, and they're they're the first ones that Ransom comes across uh, and spends a significant amount of time with. He sees a Sorn. <laughs> um, yep. early on, but um, that one is I I imagine it very humanoid, but it's like fifteen feet tall. And very thin. And actually what I picture when I, when I read these books, I kind of picture, um, you know, ever seen those like large white drawings that were done like on mountainsides that can only be seen from space (laughs) or whatever, you know, but it's just these like long stick figures, um, that are just out of proportion. You know, Mm -hmm. the legs are too long. The torso is too long. The arms are too long. Um yep. that's kind of the way I, I picture these guys um and they're kind of the the intellectual um ones. they're the thinkers of the planet yeah. uh, and then you have the the piffle-tree or fiffle-tree. Uh but you have those guys, <laughs> and they're kind of frog like ish um, but they're the artisans of of the mm-hmm. world and and so when I look at these, I come back to this whole idea. Of you know we've talked about this many times, but you have the Kirk Spock McCoy, the mind body and soul. Yeah, you know, so on on Mars you have these three living species, and you have the the Rasa that are the um the mind or the the body that does things. You have the the Sorns or the Ceroni, um, <laughs> the that are doing the thinking. They're the minds, and then you have the Pithtrigi that are doing the art. <laughs> And they're yep. they're the ones that are, you know, the soul. They're they're creating the art, the pieces of art. They're the ones who are doing these these sculptures and these these drawings and and uh in some ways keeping keeping track of of history in a way. But um I just keep going back to that idea of mind, body, and soul, mind, body and soul with that. Um But Weston and Divine look at them and just see um primitive people. To be conquered,
1: or animals, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, they know there's communication. They know these these things can communicate,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but they are meant to be dominated, right? You know? and, because they're not human, and because they are not um, sapient or sentient. Sentient. Uh, they they don't think the way humans can and do.
1: Well, they they are sentient, but to to, to western divine and divine and to western, they're they're, yeah. yeah, they're like they're like apes that can do, do sign language it's like you know yes they can communicate but the communication is not it's not human communication so it's it's lesser it's lower
0: yeah yeah uh but that brings up the the finale of the book and, and i'm not sure how much we want to actually spoil from that but yeah, um wanna as they crazy. are trying to communicate and and you know express we will dominate you You know, because we have the human (laughs) spirit or whatever. Um, The other creatures, they're just laughing at them, at at this human who is uh, trying to explain himself and and just looks ridiculous to them. Like they're looking at Weston and they're just like, you are, you know, he's ridiculous. (laughs) He's he's a complete fool. Uh, And then you have divine as well.
1: Divine, and the the names are really interesting because I mean, obviously ransom, you can sort of figure that out. Um, but Weston and Divine, it's it's Divine, it's not Divine. So when you're looking at it, you think Divine, like okay, maybe this person has some sort of. A, but if you break the word apart, break the name apart, Divine. And, you know, we are, as Christians, we're grafted into the vine of salvation. And if you're divined, then you're one of the ones that have been cut out of the branches, cut, cut off. So divine sort of gives you a clue as his character. Oh, and I Weston, always looked
0: at it as a, as a, um, as a negative uh, on the meaning, you know, where it's divine.
1: So it's ironic?
0: Yeah. Like he, it's 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 giving him a name that is the 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 opposite of what he actually it,
1: is. It could be that too. You're right. And Weston, you know, to me, Weston means someone who is who has come from the west. You know, or or <laughs> yeah. Since since they are coming from the west, you they have come east. You know, so so that's the sense you're getting from the word Weston. And if you know much about directions in biblical uh terms. Anytime someone goes east, like Cain went east of Eden, you know, and anytime someone goes metaphorically east, it's sinful. You know, the the temple, the uh the um, not the temple, maybe the temple, but I'm I'm not talking about that. The uh tabernacle was structured so that the opening was always facing east. So when you were when you needed to go into the tabernacle, you personally had to walk east and then turn and then eventually walk west into the the tabernacle into where the the holy of holies and, and everything was where you could worship. So metaphorically what you're doing is is admitting that you are a sinner, you're walking east, you're turning around, repenting and then walking west. So it was always that metaphor when you had to go into the, the tabernacle. You always were saying to yourself, I'm walking east. I'm a sinful person. I'm turning around. I'm, you know, through the Holy Spirit, obviously. They didn't um, think it was themselves doing it. Or maybe some people did, but that's not my point. <laughs> <laughs> but the Western, you know, a person coming from the West going east would be someone who is moving into sin, you know, a sinful person. So you have a sinful person, Weston, and a person who has been cut off from the, the, the tree of salvation, divine. So yeah, that's and then sort of where I get it.
0: The thing that I get from Weston is that he, I mean, he represents in a lot of ways, the, the United Kingdom, you know, like, yeah. which you have the, the Far East and then you have, you know, the Western world. Right. And, and this is where, Um, I mean, he, in this story, he changes, he does kind of change his tune in, in the next book, but in this story, he's a scientist. He has discovered the magical rays that allow them to do, that make space travel possible. Um, you know, and, and he wants to use science to live forever and, and be, you know, the, the great white hope. You know, and I think he's actually even described as uh, a uh, uh, a parody of the Great White Hope. But he's mm-hmm. he he's the one who you know we're gonna we've the sun never sets on on England, you know, on on the the, the British Empire, right? Um, because they they have colonized so much of the world, and now this is just we're gonna colonize beyond our world even. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I know that C.S. Lewis was writing specifically in, in opposition to this idea of of conquering outside of our own world. Um, I read a book of letters um, between him and Arthur C. Clarke, where mm-hmm. um, not that Arthur C. Clarke is arguing for you know conquering space, um, but where C.S. Lewis is referring to just you know the, this, these people, especially in science fiction circles, who um, kind of endorse. That idea of manifest destiny, you know, like, but beyond our world where we're, we're going to reach out to the stars and we're going to conquer them. And uh, and that's Weston. I mean, he he clearly says this, you know, that this is this is his intention. <laughs> and yep. and, uh, and that's part of why he's there. I mean, they're there to get stuff to bring back and, and you know, there to, to make money and and to, you know, get a fortune. Um, but then the bigger side of that is, is his philosophical side, which is to say, you know, we are the greatest and we are going to conquer and it's, uh, the Devon or divine. Um, do you pronounce it Devon? I've done both. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I can't keep
1: praying for you. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, <laughs> he also changes, um, he he shows up in that hideous strength, but uh, for him it's more about I think the material stuff, yeah. whereas whereas it's philosophical for for Weston, right? But, but the two of them together actually kind of uh, are 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 reflections of the two main characters in the first man on the moon or in the moon. First Men in
1: the Moon,
0: yeah. Um, That H.G. Wells wrote, where you have the one guy who's about the science and about this, and and the other guy who's about getting getting gold. (laughs) And, and well, I don't know if we're ready to talk about that yet, but uh, I was surprised when I finally read The First Men in the Moon, um, just this year. Actually, as I was reading the Space Trilogy, I was also kind of gathering things, you know, that were kind of influential in that. Um, Yeah. But I was surprised how much out of the silent planet reflects um, the first man in the moon and uh, War of the Worlds in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, like it almost reads like it's a response to these things, yeah. Which it kind of is. Um, yep. His he wrote uh, a forward. It's it's brief, but his forward in out of the silent planet is note certain slighting references to earlier stories of this type which will be found in the following pages have been put there for purely dramatic purposes the author the author would be very sorry would be sorry if any reader supposed he was too stupid to have enjoyed mr h g wells's fantasies or too ungrateful to acknowledge his debt to them <laughs> so he <laughs> at least acknowledges his debt to h g wells but i was surprised just how much um, of a debt he owed as as i'm reading out of the silent planet, comparing it to the first men in the moon, um, and there's some other things too uh, with with HG uh, Wells. It, just how uh, well the Dark Tower has some reflections in um, in the time machine. Uh, I mean, there's just some really interesting things that I found as I was going through HG uh, Wells's science fiction novels as well. Yeah, and yeah, it was. There's there's quite a quite an influence there.
1: Yeah, I think actually I, I I'm not sure where I read this, but I think in the War of the Worlds it actually references um, a different race f- on Mars that the uh, that the Mollusk race uh, overcame that they you know wiped out, and I um th- I, I don't have the reference with me, but I th- I think it. CS Lewis took that and said, "You know what? I'm going to take that other race and whatever was described there and make that I think they became the Sorn um or <laughs> In uh, the, Whenever uh, you say that
0: the... I just think
1: my Ceronai. <laughs> <sighs> so I think that um you know he he even took uh, elements from those books and just, you know, used them for his own uh for his own purposes.
0: Well, the first men in the moon. Um, the first my first interaction with the first men in the moon was the movie. Uh, they, they, they've done two movies. One was from I think the late 60s would have been right after the actual moon landing because mm-hmm. the movie itself kind of referenced um, the moon landing. But um, then there was a more recent one. But uh, it starts out. And it's just, again, so pedestrian, so mundane. It's just about a guy who's trying to write his play. He just wants to write the great British play. And he it gets disrupted by a scientist who lives nearby, who creates a ship that has, um, I can't remember the name of the, the, uh, the substance, but he's also created the substance that allows for, for flight. And they, they're going to use that for space flight. And they create a spherical ship that's going to go to the moon and it just, it's ransom's not there, but it just feels like ransom minus ransom, Weston and divine are both like they're pulled from the first man of the moon. Yeah. And, and CS Lewis is really riffing on, on what, what Wells is doing in, in his own science fiction. Yeah.
1: And it works. You know, because I mean, what do we all do as writers, as creators, you know, stand on the shoulders of giants and, you know, the, the best of us can make it seem as though we're not directly stealing because I mean, hopefully we're not directly stealing, but, um, you know, I mean, but, uh, how can you write science fiction without going to another planet in a spaceship okay well you just stole that you know i mean there's just so many different things that you, yeah,
0: the tropes but it's character stuff too i mean the, yeah. this is the thing that i find so interesting as i'm as i'm reading them so closely together is is uh first of all he is riffing on the, some of the philosophical things that's going on in The First Men on the Moon and in, mm-hmm. in um, War of the Worlds. Um, and, and second of all, then, because he's, it, it, it almost comes off as, as, um, as a serious parody. You know, not quite satire, you know, and and not really meant to be like a, a you know Mad Magazine kind of parody or whatever, right? Um, but it almost feels like he's he's doing the H. G. Wells thing and and taking it, twisting it, keeping elements though. Like that, that's just what surprised me so much in this book was how many things he seemed to be pulling on this string and pulling on that string, and and not hiding it. You know, because the, mm-hmm. the whole idea, I mean, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Like, like you were saying, you know, it's all about how you do it, you know, and what you put of yourself into it. And for C.S. Lewis in this book, um, he's putting his imagination into the aliens, which is completely alien. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Um, yep. You know, the, these are creatures that have different mindsets. And that, you know, a human interacting with them has a very hard time interacting with them. And they even have a hard time interacting with each other sometimes as far as like the yeah. three different races, because they think so differently from each other. And right. it's so interesting. It's fantastic, you know, and then you have this guy who's walking this this barren world, you know, and you you get this picture of what Mars looks like in in C.S. Lewis's imagination. And it's it's brilliant. But. All of the Weston and Divine stuff feels like it's ripped right out of uh, the first man in the moon. The difference is mm-hmm. that C.S. Lewis is saying, I'm going to take these guys and show what it really means for them to believe these things. Right. And, you know, so he's taking these things and flipping it and saying, okay, you can believe this, but this is the logical conclusion you have to come to if you actually believe this. And, or, or this is the, the, the spiritual truth. You know, like the people of Mars can't understand a whole lot of what Weston is saying, because the concepts he's bringing off are are so foreign to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and so that's where I I love the way it. As much as I'm like surprised how much and the way it gets stolen, <laughs> is <laughs> uh, I I'm also just astounded and 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 amazed by you know this this alien world that this yeah. it's fantasy obviously but
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's just really really neat i, I, I and i, I really appreciate it this time and i'm not sure if it's because of all the other study i was doing as i was reading around this book as well
1: i would imagine it is that usually makes things like pop even more for me when i can you know do the extra work and and dig in like like what was happening in 1938 when he was writing this this novel you know world war II was was starting in Europe. And, you know, you already had things happening in World War II. So, you know, if you say to yourself, well, some of this might actually be like, you know, references to things that are going on in his world, that he's saying to himself, World War II wasn't going to last forever, so I'm not writing this because I want people 50 years from now to say, hey, yes, World War II is still happening. So this is still a cogent thing, you know, but still he's he's riffing on those ideas that that work into it. You know, what else is happening? Well, this is pre TV. It's it's during radio, you know, so it, it you, you have that sense. So when you're when you're looking at all those different things, you can get a better sense of you know, oh, okay, that's why he's being so visual with his words, because he doesn't think this is ever going to be, you know, a, a motion picture or a television play. You know, he's writing this because most likely if it turns into anything, it would probably be a radio play. And so, you know, it's so the the words are, you know, the dialogue is, is such that it's it's something that grabs you when you hear them talking back and forth and you know clever turns of phrase and and things like that so so when you think about what you're looking at in that time and you know like you said the 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 pulps that he was that he it it would have been fascinating to read the pulps that he was reading right and then to read this because you you would probably see you know tons more little things sneaking out um But, you know, we we have what we have and you do what you can. I mean, obviously, you know, reading other things along with it, I was digging into, you know, completely different other types of stuff, but still feeding into that, you know, like um, uh, the Voyage to Arcturus novel by Lindsay. You know, a lot of people see that as sort of like the prototype for uh, Out of the Silent Planet. And where did where did Lindsay get his ideas? Who was his great, you know, thinker that he was going off of, George McDonald, who we know had a huge influence on C.S. Lewis. I mean, read The Great Divorce. So, <laughs> you know, when you have those little things happening, it's going to add much more to the the appreciation of what you're reading. So good stuff there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned uh, Voyage to Arcturus, and, and that is something that C.S. Lewis— he himself said that it was a big influence. I, I don't know how much of a direct influence, like in the same way that um First Man and the Moon is. Right. But um but that was when he looked and saw someone taking this this alien world and and using the alien world to tell a spiritual truth. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so when he when he read Void Structurus at least he said to himself and other people around him, <laughs> um, this is an example of, of what got him thinking about was we could use this kind of story to explore spiritual truths. Right. And, and so whether, whether or not uh, – I don't remember much about it. It's been a few years since I read it. All I remember is there's a lot of awful things happening around the main <laughs> character. I remember the main character is walking yeah. around this world – and coming across these weird things. And then people were just dying around yep. him. And a like he dying. would inadvertently bring about the death of everyone he came in contact with, it seems. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just a very, uh, uh, negative, uh, story. And when I say negative, I mean, just lots of negative things happening.
1: Yeah. And the, the way, way it, it, the way it, uh, I'd, I don't want to ruin a 100 year old book.
0: Okay, I, I would say that you're <laughs> not going to because this is not someone. You know, there are certain things I say. Oh, we don't want to. We don't want to spoil this because it's it's sci fi homework, right? You right. know, yeah. I would say yeah. Because I remember also being a slog. I remember it not being a good yeah. read. First of all, I also remember philosophically I disagree with a lot of just kind of the ideas that was coming out of it. I don't remember what specifically. So well, it
1: was a lot of it was you know he was uh, Lindsay was a big reader of Nietzsche and things like that so you get a lot of um you know philosophical discussions and and understanding philosophy in such a way that that it's just it's it's you can start to tell it's not christianity and it just starts to tilt. And it's it's sort of like when you see something start to tilt and you see it, it's almost falling. And you just like, I, I, I want to just reach in, And you can't reach it. And you just see it start, just keep tilting and keep tilting. And then it's just sort of too late. So, yeah. But, um, I mean, if anyone really wants to read it and do their homework, you know, I'm not going to ruin it for them. <laughs> but it just has that sense where, you know, if, if you've ever read something where, like you know, a, a Batman story where he lets the villain die at the end because you know, like the, the terrible one with the, the KG Beast, the KG Beast, where like he he's locked somewhere and Batman just walks away because he knows he can't let the thing let the KG Beast out and defeat him. He can't do that, so he'll he'd rather just let the thing die, <laughs> or the person die. I mean, th- stories like that where you're just like you get to the end of it and you're just like. Meh. What's that taste in my mouth? I don't like it. It just well, So anyway,
0: my I mean I just remember feeling off the entire time I read yeah. it. And and part of it yeah. was the philosophy that was in it. Again, like I said, I can't remember what was what it was, but but then part of it also was the the actual writing of it. <laughs> like it was it felt old. And and a lot of times I can get past some of that, but but this one was just no.
1: No. Yeah. Um, yeah, once you get past Verne and Wells, it's very hard to find um, older, you know, hundred-year-old stories that have that that stuff that you're looking for when you're reading a story nowadays.
0: That is something that's very interesting about Wells, though, is that he is very readable mm-hmm. now. Like I, I, I was surprised. I had read War of the Worlds. And I had read the invisible man. I had not read, um, the first man in the moon. And there's a couple other things that I, I, um, had not read before that I did around this time as I'm reading the space trilogy. But, um, it's very readable and, mm-hmm. and, and exciting, uh, you know, war of the worlds for all of its, um, trappings of the time period that it's set in, which is the present day, you know, but around world war one, you know, and, right. um, it's, it's exciting. It's interesting. And you're really curious what's going to happen next. And, you know, there's, there's a sense not just of, I don't know how they're going to get out of this one, you know, <laughs> that you have in an adventure story, but it's like literally the entire world. Like, how are they going to get out of this one? Yeah. And, um, and it's the same, you know, here with, with C.S. Lewis, I think as well. It's right very readable and it's the story that might hold someone back, not the language as far as when you're reading this 1938, this right. 1938 book. Um, but here's the thing. I used to read collections of old stories from the pulps. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would get them from the library. Uh, again, this is more high school time and not, you know, around the time when I first read this book in, in eighth grade. In that time I was reading science fiction books, but it was like more young adult. What, what would be now a YA kind of thing. Right. Um but anyway um yeah very readable and and enjoyable and i want to look at our outline here and see what else we need to talk about oh the big ideas in this book yeah like first of all i mean we talked a little bit about manifest destiny and and the, the british empire but uh mm-hmm. we have not talked about sin and innocence on this world. This is an unfallen world. Yeah. It's a world older than earth because they actually have like, um, uh, drawings and, and history of when our world went silent, Mm -hmm. you know, so they, they are aware of, of the, our world going silent. That's part of their world's history is, is, is that our world going silent. But, uh, but it's unfallen. And, yeah. and that's, what's also fascinating to me about this world. Now, some might disagree that there would be any death and there is death in this planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and some of it's caused by ransom. So maybe that's, that's a <laughs> little bit of, that's a little bit of the, you know, reflecting off of a uh, voyage to Arcturus, you know, ransom is there. He does something slightly wrong. By staying too long and staying for the hunt, and the guy who he's kind of grown to actually have a friendship with, um, there's there's death, you know, and yeah. um, but the way that this world just kind of responds to everything is, things are intended to happen, you know, you know they trust God implicitly, um, and they they listen to him through his his uh, the oyarsa, um, is kind of the voice that kind of speaks for God. Um, but they understand mm-hmm. about God's son, you know, and, um, and, and it's just this supposed to be this unfallen world. And that's what, another really interesting thing is just, uh, exploring. And this is something that only someone like CS Lewis could do. And when I say that, I mean, a science fiction writer, who's also a Christian thinker mm-hmm. is to imagine what would an unfallen world look like. Yeah. What would an unfallen alien being be like?
1: And it's interesting that he did include death because, you know, a lot of times when, when Christians who aren't familiar with, you know, what tropes are in science fiction and things like that, you know, they, they would say you can't have alien worlds because, you know, they're there's no there's no Christ that would you know it, it, there's so many different logical things that you you can't really have it but if you i mean biblically death came about through one man's sin so if you're looking at that and trying to put this into that framework then you know the the now the 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 three races they didn't die until that sin happened. And they were able to, to hear about it through the Oyarsa. And then the Oyarsa probably told them, now there will be something new called death. And then they started to have life cycles where they would die, even though they were, they were uh, sinless. They were a sinless race. It, still affects them because of the curse of sin you know the curse of sin doesn't in in this in this setting it doesn't just involve the earth it involves all of all of creation you know the entire universe so because mars is part of that entire universe it started to experience death and from then on They just got used to that system, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Here we are today. So it actually fits into a biblical understanding of, uh, you know, death coming after sin. As long as you can, you know, write in the stuff that's not actually written in there. If you,
0: yeah, because that's just it. It's not written in there, yeah, one way or another. You know, it's it's not. Um, There's there's no explanation for how is this world unfallen and yet there's death right you know and and there's no explanation on your like what you just explained where could humanity have brought death into their world it's it's quite possible
1: well we brought it into the animal kingdom we brought it into you know the the animals die because of us
0: yeah you know, yeah they, I, I, they would
1: I, be immortal I, as well or whatever god intended them to be
0: and and the one the one difference is just the 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 sentience of mm-hmm. you know these these people on mars yeah uh, are people you know who have i would assume souls uh they at least have intellect yeah,
1: they're not human but they're people
0: yeah yeah uh but then you have you know dogs on earth are are not they i i, right. I at least <laughs> the way i see it dogs don't have souls no they don't you know nope. and uh so the other thing I would like to mention, um, is, uh, I like to pair up C.S. Lewis's fiction with his nonfiction. Right. And, uh, for this one, what I pair up with, uh, out of the silent planet, and this is a great book to read as you're reading, like I said, around the book too. So like if you're, if you're doing a deep dive with C.S. Lewis or something like that, um, the the book uh the discarded image, so the mm-hmm. discarded image is about the um, uh, medieval philosophy of the universe and their picture of the universe and how um, you know their their model of of the universe and and uh just what the world looks like and what's you know just beyond the world what's in the heavens you know and what's what what's in the spheres you know and 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 these kind of things and uh even though c.s lewis takes the solar system model as is observed by modern science um and and when he travels to Mars, of course we couldn't see what was on Mars really very Mm -hmm. well. Um, So he's still using his imagination on what's on that planet. But even though he's, he's doing that, he's also pulling on just these ideas of, of the, um, like I said, that medieval um, mythos, you know, and, and the, the romances of, of medieval literature. And, and, and so it's, I think a great book to read in conjunction with, or before maybe, maybe even read that before you read his space trilogy. Right. Um, But this is, I love this book, uh, the discarded image. Um, There's actually, I would really love to write a a fantasy that is based on the world model that C.S. Lewis describes in the discarded image. And, you know, as far as just the, the, the different layers that are as you move away from the earth and, and different things like that.
1: Why don't you do it and just have it ready for next week and we can discuss it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sounds good.
0: (laughs) Or, or next week we could jump into some old time radio.
1: We could. We could could do that too.
0: Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's the, the nonfiction book that I would, I would pair up as you're reading around what he's doing. That was written after this book and, it was obviously written as more of a um um educational text kind of thing. And it's not it's not fiction, but it is still mm. fascinating. It's fascinating to see like what they believed and in those, you know, the dark ages or whatever. But it's also fascinating to see they may not have believed that this was true, but this is how they um kind of metaphorically described the world. And there's just right. some really fascinating, interesting stuff there. So
1: that's how they processed
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that's my last thing. What about you? You have anything else to, to add before we close this one down?
1: My last thing. Oh, let's see what I got here. Uh, I think William 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 Allingham said it best in his poem, A Memory, uh, when he said, uh, Four ducks on a pond, a grass bank beyond, a blue sky of spring. White clouds on the wing. What a little thing to remember for years, to remember with tears. So thank you, Willing Allingham, for that.
0: Yeah, that's, it's deep, whatever it is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wiping a tear?
0: Alright, hey everyone, thank you for listening and thank you for spending some time with us as we talk about stuff that we really enjoy and I hope you enjoy it as well. Um, if you want a more scientific uh, book about Mars, you can look at The Martian, you know, that's that's a more realistic thing, but I think you're going to get more out of this one. So, Until yep. next time, thanks for listening and Godspeed. You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast, hosted by Ben Avery, Evan
1: David, Steve McDonald, and Dr. Jason Neal. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Lethel.
0: We'd love for you to join the conversation by going to our website at strangersandaliens.com, where you'll find show notes, articles, reviews, and more.
1: You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com. Or you can join our social media conversations by following us on Twitter, where we are at Strange and Alien, or liking us on Facebook at facebook.com/strangersandaliens.
0: Or leave us a voicemail by calling the Strangers and Aliens hotline. That number is one 37 alien. And once again, thanks for listening. It's deep, whatever it is.